Hello and welcome everyone to the UW Political Economy Forum podcast. My name is Nicholas Wittstock and I'm a fellow at the forum. Today I'm speaking to Professor Nico Svitek. Nico is the DAAD Visiting Assistant Professor for German Studies at the Henry M. Jackson School for International Studies and the Department of Political Science at the University of Washington. Hello, Nico. Hi, Nicholas. Thanks for having me. We're very excited to have you on. Nico, uh, the DAAD is the German Academic Exchange Program, of which you are an affiliate, and you uh, are an expert on political parties. Also, you have been uh, at the UW for the last, um, I think, three years. Is that correct? Yeah. I think the entire time that you've been here, people have been asking you about the new German far-right party, the AFD, the Alternative for Germany. Because, yeah, you, you arrived here shortly after the uh, pretty remarkable 2017 electoral result of the AFD. It seems like ever since, um, from my email inbox at least, it seems that every two weeks someone has booked you for a talk on the AFD and across the entire U.S. West Coast, it seems. But th this is somewhat ironic because your main focus is on political parties in, in Europe and Germany but mostly on green parties. Uh, could you explain how, how this came to be? Yeah, that is, that is a very good observation. Uh, so maybe let, let me start with a brief explainer about my position, which you said is partly funded by the DAD and kind of set up as a long-term visiting position. Mm -hmm. And part of my job description is outreach. So um, I'm supposed to uh, travel and talk about German politics. That's what I'm being paid for. Uh, so I did that a lot when it was still possible. Um, and I, I did not only engage with uh, academic audiences, but I gave talks at senior centers in, in Seattle uh, as well, which were really interesting. Um, and also, I mean, this might be interesting for your, for your listeners, the DAD has a lot of incoming programs as well. So if you're interested in studying or doing research in Germany, you might get some funding uh, from the DAD for, for that as well. But I mean, getting to your question, um, I, I did notice a lot of interest in the AFD and in German politics. And I, I thought, you know, there are kind of three reasons for this. Um, and, and first, you already mentioned this, that this is the first far-right party uh, we have in, in the German parliament in the Bundestag since the formation of the new party system. Um, and with Germans fascist and Nazi mm. past, of course, that raises a lot of questions, right? Is that a resurgence of right extremism? Right. Um, how stable is, is German democracy? And then second, this is Angela Merkel's last year of her chancellorship. So she's not going to run again in, in the elections this fall. Um, and this is the first time uh, that there's no incumbent chancellor running, competing in election. Uh, and so, you know, there are a lot of questions, what will be next for, for German right. politics? And thirdly, um, the, the AFD is typically described as a right populist party. And those populist elements are very similar to what we see in, in Europe and in the US. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, for instance, there's some overlap with Trump's rhetoric when he talks about accusations of fake news. Uh, the, the term is Lügenpresse, lying press, uh, which mm -hmm. the, the AFD uh, employs. But maybe I still have not answered your questions about the Greens and the AFD. So you're right, they're very different, but I think they're also connected uh, in, in some way. So they kind of represent the um, opposite poles uh, of a new societal cleavage, mm -hmm. uh, kind of the open versus closed societies. Um, and the AFD started as a Eurosceptic party, but it, with the refugee crisis in 2015, turned to a more nationalist, xenophobic uh, position. Uh, and so the Green parties, on the other hand, 
emphasize, you know, diversity, uh, multiculturalism, and mm -hmm. both parties alike profited from the high saliency of, mm -hmm. of that issue. And um, they, you know, it was for them a lot easier to give stringent, clear-cut answers, while kind of the centrist, more catch-all parties struggled uh, to, to give answers to, to questions of asylum and, and migration policies. I think especially young Americans are really fascinated by different kinds of European green parties, um, because I think they're generally seen as the party organizations that most closely approximate the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, the sort of the AOC Green New Deal crowd, uh, because they're combining, as you say, social and human rights issues with a very strong focus on the environment as, as a political issue. Would you say that's a fair characterization of these parties? Yeah, uh, maybe just a brief note up, up front. I, I was surprised that I get generally a lot of interest in my classes. I teach governments of Western Europe mm -hmm. uh, on, you know, proportional representation and multi-party systems. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I attribute this to the situation in the US where you have high polarization between the two right. parties and, you know, not that many choices. And um, so people or students look to Europe, well, how do they, how do they manage this with more than two parties? Um, but I mean, you you might have other problems in multi-party systems. So you know, parties have to cooperate to form a government, form a coalition government, and uh, that could lead to gridlock as well, and um, you know, kind of a prevalence of the, of the status quo. Um, so sometimes that might just be a case of the grass is always greener on on the other side. But I mean, what you gave is an is an accurate description. Um, and I think you already offered an important insight that is often overlooked uh, because of their label as green parties. Um, we see them as environmentalist parties, mm -hmm. but um, they typically combine those positions with strong leftist uh, progressive uh, positions. Um, and, you know, if we look back how those parties started in, in the 1970s and 1980s, um, they were kind of based on a broad spectrum of uh, new social movements. So they uh, talked about issues of feminism, pacifism, mm -hmm. uh, sexual minorities, human rights, uh, and so on. Um, and we did have some uh, conservative environmentalists, uh, activists that were part of the, those original founding groups, uh, but often they kind of left the party uh, when uh, the, the left factions became um, stronger. So it doesn't have to be connected, the question of a left wing in the party and uh, uh, environmentalist issues, but typically in green parties, uh, this is the case. Uh, we do see, if you look at uh, comparative uh, manifesto analysis, you can see that in Europe, kind of the Central and Eastern Europe green parties are a lot more centrist and often combine environmentalist positions with nationalist uh, positions and are not as strong on, on leftist issues. Uh, but that is, of course, because they're kind of missing this post-materialist clientele in the electorate that we know from the, the Western uh, European states. Um, maybe one last note, the, um, I mean, Green Party started as, as radical outsiders, but with the process of establishing themselves, they moderated their position. So they mm. became more centrist and added more conservative elements, you could say. Um, but now with all the talk about climate change and new movements like Fridays for Future uh, springing up, there is an increased pressure on Green Party. So they now face potential challengers that you know might be more ambitious on climate uh, policies than the, the Green mm. Parties are now. You mentioned that um, at the beginning, Green Parties had a significant 
conservative undercurrent within their their movement. Uh, do you feel like that's really the case that a lot of these elements have left the parties? I, I know that the Greens in Germany, for example, the uh, Bündnis 90 Die Grünen, they're, they're a lot more conservative, or at least they're the home to a lot of very conservative voters, um, than I would assume a lot of young Americans would expect. Do you feel like that's that's a fair assessment, or am I mistaken here somehow? Yeah, absolutely. And um like we we discussed, I mean, in in the uh, in the very early days, there were some uh, conservative groups, uh, Christian Democrats, defectors from the Christian Democratic parties, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that that wanted to focus on environmentalism, and uh, who left the Green Party after it kind of made that decisive left turn. But then over time, I mean, the the German Greens are you know turned forty. Um, turned 40 last year, the party moderated itself and kind of moved in in the center of the party system and attracted a lot of new voters. And now with the, the high saliency of questions of climate change, of the climate crisis, um, they attract a lot of voters that um, vote for the party because of their environmentalist label and less right. of the uh, you know, kind of leftist wing they also have. But I mean, the, the position in the party system for them is very successful because they can speak to different audiences with their different wings. And as long as they're able to kind of balance their factions inside of the party, um, they can really attract centrist voters and also voters on the left. And you can see that in Germany that they have been very successful in uh, in their coalition strategy. So on, on state level, they pretty much govern with all parties, except mm-hmm. for the AFD, of course. Um, and, you know, they can govern with the left party and the social Democrats or with the Christian Democrats and the liberal, the free market party. So um, that is kind of a specific situation they find themselves in. And that's where they, they profit because they have a broad appeal into the electorate. Um, I mean, the the West European parties are uh, very similar in their positions, and often the question if if they were successful or not was dependent on the electoral system. For instance, mm-hmm. there is a Green Party in the UK, but you know, with first past the post voting, they mm-hmm. they had a hard time securing um, representation in in the parliament. So it was less about uh, their platform. But typically, the smaller parties tend to be more radical. And, mm-hmm. you know, the process of moderation was driven by parliamentary representation. And the German Greens are a good case once they got the parliamentary groups, and they decided to engage in, uh, you know, um, policymaking, serious, earnest policymaking in the parliament, they kind of moderated and the smaller parties that didn't have a parliamentary representation, kind of stayed radical um, outsiders. Um, and then we can see that in, like I said, in Eastern Europe, it's it's a bit different because um, here it's more exclusive, the representation of environmental issues, mm-hmm. um, and you have less of those leftist uh, politics, which of course are a little disqualified in former socialist countries as well, right? So that was mm-hmm. a more attractive position with the student movements uh, and, and all these new left groups um, you could see in, in France and Germany and the UK and Italy in the uh, in the 60s and 70s. That makes sense. At the same time, I think it indicates that environmentalism is not necessarily to be politically combined with uh, left-wing progressive ideals, right? It's completely conceivable that a party would be actually, um, yeah, quite, quite staunchly sort of like opposed to those kinds of ideals, but still um, holds up environmentalism as one key issue that it tries to push for politically. Um, returning to the U.S. case, then, do you think that that's a 
possible, a plausible future for the Republican Party in the United States. I think um, in early 2021, it seems that the Republican Party is at a bit of a crossroads. Um, who knows where they're going to go, right? But I'm just um, trying to throw it out there. Like, is it conceivable that a revamped Republican Party, maybe not this year, maybe not the next year, but maybe in 10 years, um, con combines conservatism with conservation, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, you're right. I, I think, you know, environmentalism is is not in no way exclusive to to the left or to progressive actors. And um, I mean, there, there are classical instruments if, if you think about the actual content policy-wise. So, you know, emission regulation or state subsidies for renewable energies, and those are um, more akin to state intervention in the market, which you will find with with um, parties on, on the left spectrum. But of course, I mean, there, there are other instruments, you know, a trading mm -hmm. system, uh, right. an emission scheme, so which would be a better fit for, for center-right parties. And um, I mean, I think there could be a, a viable strategy. And I mean, science tells us that climate change is here to stay, right? So all parties will have to find uh, a position. Um, and we can see in the European party systems, even if there's smaller green parties, um, the existence of a small green party exerts pressure on the other parties to think about those or, or pick up those positions or uh, adapt to this. Um, and like you said, I mean, Christian democratic parties uh, often have a connection through the conservation of God's creation, right? So you right. could frame it in a religious way um, and kind of connect this to your religious base. Uh, and a pattern we see is that on this base, Christian democratic parties will govern with the Green Party. So mm -hmm. in Austria, you have a black green government, Christian Democrats and Greens, and they seem to you know, have enough overlap to form a government and kind of develop a, a common platform that is based on um, on those ideas. Another example would be sustainability, um, mm -hmm. which you could also define in terms of um, austerity politics and a balanced budget, right? So saying um, not yeah. uh, not leaving any debt for future generations is an idea of sustainability, which is strongly connected to a, to a green party platform um, as well. But I mean, I think there are difficulties if you truly embrace this position, because in the end, it does not work if you just uh, stipulate it as a rhetoric uh, and, and right. climate researchers uh, share consensus that we need massive changes, right, in mm -hmm. our lifestyle, in, uh, in uh, how we... Um, uh, yeah, uh, how we organize our life to to combat climate change. And uh, that is a problem if a party adopts this rhetoric, but doesn't follow through. I mean, uh, you know, then it's not very uh, believable. And you can see that even green parties uh, nowadays struggle because of their process of moderation. There's in the center of the party system. And yet now you have those new movements like Fridays of, for Future who say green parties are not ambitious enough mm. anymore. And, you know, we need uh, we need to do more uh, to mm -hmm. save the climate and uh, uh, the, the green parties need to become more radical again. So they do have challengers on the left or that are more progressive and more demanding uh, and, and they um, which haven't entered the electoral arena yet, but that, you know, could could happen in the future. Do you, do you want to talk a little bit more about potential for these new, even more radical uh, environmentalist parties in Europe? Yeah. On the one hand, I think it's just a, a life cycle of political parties, right? That right. they um, start as enthusiastic outsiders and, and have those very novel and crazy ideas. And then they become established and people gain experience and, and uh, are reelected to parliament. And then they kind of 
normalize uh, and uh, become less radical. And then you have those uh, new challenges. The question is, will the uh, Greens manage to be an ally to those new groups and say, you know, we're your representative mm. in parliament and let's work together to, to push this agenda? Or um, will those movements uh, say, you know, the, the Greens are too much part of the establishment and uh, we need to build electoral lists or alliances uh, ourselves and, and start uh, kind of pushing for radical measures. And that's a uh, thing we'll see on, of course, on transnational and, and international level, because, uh, you know, the, the climate change is not a, not a thing just one state or one nation can handle. Do you think green parties are going to remain part of the European party system? Or do you think there's also the possibility that the entire political system is going to move green, if you will, right? Because at some point, you know, this is going to become more and more of a mainstream position because it's just going to be a, a policy reality. Angela Merkel is probably one of the greenest uh, German politicians ever, and she's not part of the Green Party. She, she's a conservative politician. Yeah, uh, and, and Angela Merkel has a lot of fans with the Green Party base because of her uh, you know, migration policies and uh, taking up refugees. So um, that's an interesting cross-cutting uh, uh, connection. Mm. Um, you're right. I mean, the, the Green Party started with that niche that they were the only party talking about environmental issues, plus all these other uh, post-materialistic topics uh, we already discussed. Um, and they, I would say they're kind of losing that niche because, I mean, questions of climate change uh, and environmental issues have become mainstream. Other parties adapted. And now with the U.S. rejoining the, the Paris Climate Accord, you know, there's probably a renewed push on international level to, to address those problems. And so the, the niche for the Green parties is shrinking. They mm. still have did they have it in their party name? So you could say if you ask voters, they typically assign, you know, competencies in this policy area to the Greens just by their name. So they have the issue ownership and um, it's it's hard to take that away from them. But I can, you know, I think they do understand that they need to broaden their appeal. Um, and we discussed kind of the left faction. So they always address questions of, um, you know, higher taxation, social justice, uh, redistribution. Uh, they embrace European integration, also connected, you know, saying that there are no national solutions to the climate crisis. You have to do this on a transnational or international level. So they're very pro-European integration. And again, the AFD is kind of the opposite, right? So right. those are all depending on, on the issue. Uh, the, the more uh, clearly they kind of place themselves on a certain pole, the more stringent answers they can give and the more attractive they might they might be to voters. But you're right, they do have in their strategy to think about, uh, you know, how to how can we extend our appeal beyond uh, environmental issues that we are just because of our name uh, are connected with. Hmm. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Nico, of course, we're going to have to speak about the German far right at some point, right? You're not going to get out of this conversation without talking about the German far right. There has been, as I alluded to earlier, an immense uh, interest in populism, in far right parties, nativism. Uh, this, this general phenomenon has had a lot of different names, I think, in the last... I mean, at the very least in the last four years, right, there's been really a bonanza of, of academic research in that area. You have stated now multiple times that you think the AFD is kind of like the inverse of the green progressive parties that we see across Europe, 
especially. Could you explain a little bit more what you mean by that? The AFD is a specific party um, to Germany, even though you could say they're kind of part of, of, a, of a larger movement, but uh, Germany is kind of a latecomer regarding far-right parties. So you, mm -hmm. you typically see them in, in Western European countries and they, they combine uh, in, in every state kind of a unique mix of, of positions. Germany, I think because of its fascist past, voters were kind of more reluctant you know, mm -hmm. to cast their vote for uh, a far-right party. And I think they were successful in establishing themselves because they started as an anti-Euro, a Euro-skeptic party. Mm. Um, and that's where they kind of got their appeal from because uh, they were the only party critical of European integration in the aftermath of the Euro crisis. And that's where their name comes from, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Angela Merkel said the it's uh, we have no alternative to rescuing the euro and the alternative wants to present that alternative kind of the, right. the uh, abolishment of the currency and only in the refugee crisis they turn to a more xenophobic um, nationalist uh, anti-islam uh, position um, and so that kind of placed them on the opposite side of the greens and um, I mean, they profited. They, for the first time, they entered the Bundestag in 2017 with with a very good result. Um, and now, on the other hand, we see that the Greens are doing strongly, and kind of the centrist parties um, are struggling. So it's a question of, of course, the, you know, the more you're on the fringes, the higher your visibility, uh, and that's where they kind of uh, profited from. Uh, but I mean, the the Euro crisis is history, and also the refugee crisis is not as salient. Uh, questions of migration. So they're kind of struggling to find their new topic. And uh, right now, they're not polling, polling as strongly. Um, and of course, I mean, there's a lot of infighting in the party. So right. just as with the Greens, we have two factions as well, who don't see eye to eye on, on where the party should place itself. And so it's, it's not really clear how stable the party is at the moment. It's always hard to, to place new parties and you know they're, they're, they're shape-shifting and uh, there's different uh, dominant groups in the party that try to push it in certain directions and we've seen that with the greens that they were kind of alliance of, mm. of many different uh, activists and uh, and groups and with the the afd i mean the, the the one cleavage we talked about is the the open and closed societies but you're right i mean there, there are a lot of traditional values and uh activists that kind of defected from the conservative christian democratic parties and said you know the angela merkel moved the party too much to the center or even to mm -hmm. the left um and you know there's a, a truly conservative uh, party missing uh, that represents those classic values, those anti-progressive values, you could say. Um, and also it's connected to the question of, of populism we talked about. So, you know, that the argument there is some form of political correctness that, mm -hmm. you know, the gender policies are, are part of. So there's something that's being, that we're being forced to follow, uh, which we um, do not accept. Uh, and that's kind of you know, harboring this sentiments and the calls for, you know, we back to the 50s and 60s uh, mm -hmm. and talking about these old values. And, and that's kind of the unique position the AFD is in. And that labels all the other parties as part of an, of an cartel or group that, that outsider, that populist outsider argument kind of helps to mobilize the base. Americans have especially been focused on the rise of conspiracy thinking and conspiracy theories with relevance to American national level politics. What I wasn't really aware of is that this has actually been a surprisingly high profile issue in Germany also, at least in the last year during the COVID epidemic. 
to what extent is this related to the AFD phenomenon? Yeah, so there, there's very similar events in, in the US and Germany. So the, the global dimension of the pandemic, you know, has similar effects. Uh, and there were some QAnon symbols at anti-lockdown protests in, in Germany as well. Mm. So they kind of follow the same uh, stories or same uh, conspiracy theories. The I think the AFD is kind of just split along the two factions, uh, uh, split if they should embrace those movements and kind of, you know, mm -hmm. after uh, uh, the uh, low saliency for questions of migration, embrace right. this as a new position that might uh, mobilize uh, the base and uh, attract new supporters and um, uh, kind of ignoring those protests. And it's hard because those groups are a very broad spectrum. So you can see kind of libertarians on the one side that just criticize the, the overreach of the state. Uh, and then you have uh, anti-vaccination uh, protesters who you know, are proponents of alternative medicine. So it's, it's a very heterogeneous group and they subscribe to some strange conspiracy theories. So it, it's a danger for the party to be uh, affiliated uh, with those groups. Um, but I mean, it's such a new situation. So I think mm -hmm. that we see that political actors as well as citizens kind of struggle uh, to understand these new dynamics uh, and and how to react and um for the for the AFD I think it's uh, it's not decided yet how if how strongly they want to embrace uh, these groups um, and we've seen in in the US I mean what horrible consequences the the QAnon movement can have so mm -hmm. the kind of the more nationalist conservative wing in the party is critical of um, aligning with these groups. Yeah, that's really curiously similar to the US situation in many ways, right? It's, it's interesting. I sometimes wonder to what extent these, uh, like the AFD, for example, in Germany is just inspired by things in the US, that this is some, some sort of cultural import, or if there's some variable that this is dry, driving this in, in, in both countries at the same time, external to, uh, to one or the other, it's probably both to some extent, but who knows. Nico, to close, as you stated, the situation in Germany is quite complicated. The Green Party is relatively established, but as you're saying, it's still evolving, um, as, as are other parties, of course. But I mean, the AFD is probably the biggest wild card, as you're saying, with really trying to figure out what it's going to stand for. And now you know, there's an election coming up this year in Germany. What do you think is going to happen? Of course, that's really hard to predict, but um, it's, it's such an unprecedented situation, of course. And um, all these parties have been, as you're saying, trying to react to this new, just new situation on all levels. Uh, so where, what do you think is going to happen? Is there any way to predict or have any idea what's going to happen in, in the fall? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's interesting because uh, Angela Merkel will not uh, run again. And so it's a truly open situation. And the uh, Christian Democratic Party uh, profited a lot from uh, Angela Merkel's uh, popularity. Uh, and and she was driving the good results of the party. Um, so it's it's unclear uh, who, her, who the leading candidate of the party is. So it, it could be um, the head of the CSU or the CDU, so they still have to decide um, who will uh, head the campaign. Uh, and also, um, the, the question with the Greens, they're polling really strongly now and even uh, surpassing the Social Democrats. So the question is, is there kind of a changing of the guard in the left mm -hmm. part of the party spectrum, uh, party system? Um, social, and, sorry, uh, just for our listeners, the Social Democrats in Germany had been the uh, like post-war traditional center left party of the German party system. Yeah, you can probably and, and, say this better. Sorry. 
and we already had uh, a couple uh, state elections where the Greens surpassed the Social Democrats. And uh, in, in the last European elections, the Greens were stronger than the Social Democrats. So with our discussion about the strong left wing in the Green Party, you know, that could signal some transformation uh, and kind of that, that the Green Party replaces the, the, the Social Democrats as the second strongest party um, in the party system, kind of a transformation of the party system. And then with the AFD, we talked a lot about the uh, intra-party conflicts and uh, there were uh, some contentious party congresses. So it's not clear if the party really um, is able to offer a coherent platform and, mm. and the conflicts are going to be more intense when they have to draft the election manifesto. So uh, a split of the party is still uh, a possibility. Mm. And then it, they might have problems uh, as to distinct groups, uh, even uh, right. surpassing the electoral threshold. So it's it's not a given that they that they will be able to re-enter parliament. And we've seen on state level already some of the AFD groups, there were defectors, there were splits. So this result is going to be interesting to see if the AFD establish itself as a kind of consistent player in the party system, or if that was just maybe a one-hit wonder. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Nico. It's been great to have you on and uh, speak to you soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Political Economy Forum podcast. Please feel free to listen to our other episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You might also like our special podcast on election security, Neither Free Nor Fair, which is hosted by Professor James Long, and is also available on all major platforms. Our podcasts are produced by Morgan Wack and myself, Nicholas Wichdok. Our theme music was created by Ted Long. Please feel free to leave a review as we're curious about your feedback and if you have any questions, suggestions, or concerns, please contact uwpoliticaleconomy at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.